The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. You're tuned in to Grip It and Rip It, sponsored by LB's Meat Market. We're going to get started here in a second, but first, let's hear from LB's. Grip It and Rip It with Brian Scott Rippy is brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. The place to go for any and all of your meat needs. Just right now, they've got the Lane Train Special, a six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet for $10. they got fresh seafood, grill packs, and a lot of different types of sausages. Put simply, if your grill is in need of meat, the only place to go in Oxford, Mississippi is LB's Meat Market. Give them a call today at 662-259-2999. That's 662-259-2999. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. What's up on a Sunday afternoon? I am Brian Scott Rippey on the other end of the line. Former Andy Kennedy staffer, Bracken Ray, good friend of mine. I figured we'd hop on here and talk some hoops. Kind of see what what uh, Bracken thoughts were. I had some thoughts on the first couple of all this games. They won 78-58 over UNC Wilmington yesterday. They opened with a, I don't even remember what this JSU score was, but uh, a blowout win over Jackson State. What? Uh, thanks for hopping on, man. What's up? Man, not a whole lot. Just uh, got college basketball and college football going on right now. So a lot of fun. Got the holidays approaching as well. So all good on my end. Good. Glad to hear, dude. Glad to hear. Yeah, well, I just wanted to get get you on here and kind of get your thoughts on the first couple games. Obviously, with no football going on, it's really kind of the only only show in town. Waited a long time for it. Ole Miss, I believe, was the last Power 5 program to start their season because of a COVID outbreak that pushed back the first at least four games of the season, if I'm not mistaken, maybe more than that. But uh, once they did finally get underway, they blew out Jackson State. They beat UNC Wilmington uh, yesterday. Just uh, general overall thoughts, the initial impressions of this team so far. Yeah, no doubt. Um, So, you know, first, when you look at it, you know, today is December 13th. Uh, Normally, 
Ole Miss would be eight games or so into non-conference play at this standpoint. And, you know, the other thing you look at as well is Ole Miss has had some pauses with their practices and had players, staffers, et cetera, you know, positive with COVID. So you've got stuff where um, this team probably hasn't been together and gotten to practice and prepare as much as they would like to so far. But two games into the season, you know, not playing – we haven't played any just phenomenal teams so far by any means, but average margin of victory so far, 28 a game. Um, I think right now for Ole Miss, I think it's a four game and seven day slate that they're in the middle of. Um, it's just important to get these games in, right? You've got uh, some new faces on this team and getting that experience, being able to gel, getting able, being able to try out different lineups is huge for this Ole Miss team. Um, the first thing that sticks out to me, you know, on a positive end, this team has a chance to be an elite defensive team so far. Kermit gets hired April of 18 or so, and the vision for him, he wanted a long athletic roster. And we're in year three right now, and you're starting to see that. Um, this team defends really well. They're holding opponents to 35% from the field, small sample size so far, but Super impressive. And, you know, when you look at it, uh, one thing that I notice is even when teams make shots against us, they're tough contested shots um, and probably not necessarily in the rhythm of the offense, the opposing coach. So Ole Miss is doing a really good job taking teams out of what they want to do offensively so far. And although the competition hasn't been super great, I, I think that's going to be part of their identity going forward. Yeah, I could not agree more. There's two things to me that have stuck out so far through the two games this season. Obviously, tiny sample size, but hey, what the hell else do we have to talk about? But two huge storylines, if you want to call it that. One, Ramella White. Why don't we start with White? Because Shuler's a little bit more of a known commodity. He has 20 and what, six yesterday in the win over UNC Wilmington. Mm-hmm. I could need to pull up the stats for that first game. I don't remember what he had in the first game, but he was really good. He's a uh, he's an incredible finisher, man. And he t- to me, like that was the biggest thing that stuck out watching him so far. He had an and one against JSU that came to mind. To where you can tell the way he went into the guy and sought out the contact for an and one was a guy that's played a lot of ba- major college basketball and a veteran guy. Like it's those kind of small things that have stuck out. But man, he's impressive to watch at the rim. Yeah, there, there's no question about it. Um, we knew going into this year, you know, Romello's got a chance to be, uh, he's got a chance to lead the league in rebounding this year, but they are going to try to play inside out with him, four out, one in, and have done a great job of it so far. And I think the most impressive thing that I've noticed is he's finishing just as well with his left hand as with his right hand. Um, he can go both ways. He uh, is a really good passing big, which for this team I think is huge. And something that to keep an eye on going forward, you're seeing teams right now dig on him. So that means, you know, your guards, somebody outside of the person that's defending him, kind of digging on him, giving him attention, or even doubling at times. And I think with the success that he's had over these last two games – the scouting report uh, for opponents going forward is they're going to give him even more attention. He's going to start getting doubled more, et cetera. But with him being a good passing big, it's going to lead to a lot of uh, 
open uncontested shots and even layups at times for those in that one through four spot for Ole Miss. Yeah, that's a good point. He is a good passing big, and he's 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 he just seems like a pretty smart cerebral player. And it's kind of interesting watching him play. Uh, you kind of we talked about the first time we had the, we we got on this podcast talking about this version of Ole Miss basketball was the fact that is Kermit going to be guard oriented? Are they going to play through Joiner, or is it kind of going to go more towards what he's been as a head coach throughout most of his career? Now, this is ridiculously early. I don't think they've really found out anything about who they're going to play through in crunch time and all that. But like it's he seems like the tailor-made type of guy, the type of big Kermit's played through in the past. It seems to suit him very well. Yeah, no doubt. And like you said, you know, he's uber talented, has a lot of experience. And a lot of times when you get grad transfers, uh, think of the MJ Retts, uh, Tomases of the world. They're coming from low and mid-major teams. Mello comes from Pac-12 playing, you know, three, four years at that level. Um, got a lot of experience. I think you're right. I think this offense this year, we, we've said it a few times already, early sample size, but this offense this year is going to be efficient um, when it's doing two things. A, like we've already pointed out, playing through Romello, but B, uh, reversing the ball on both sides of the floor. One thing that I'm kind of noticing, and I know we'll get into Devontae here in a second, but outside of Devontae, Ole Miss needs a little bit more out of Jarkel, Austin, and Morrell. And what's happening is I think – they're kind of getting out of the rhythm of the offense and they're forcing pull up mid range or three shots um, that, that aren't in the flow of the offense. And it's leading to some inefficiencies there. But when Ole Miss reverses the ball, both sides of the floor, when they play downhill and attack the basket, um, you know, they're a pretty solid they're, They can be a pretty solid offensive team as well. Defensively, they have been really good through two games and I was writing down notes uh, while watching it on Thursday or Thursday evening, and it was I wrote down it was hard to tell if JSU's just that inept on the on the offensive end or if Ole Miss is that much better defensively. And the conclusion I came to is it's probably both. Oh. But you can tell by far in a way that, like you mentioned off the top when we first started chatting, was that you can tell they're smarter defensively, and you can also tell they're more athletic. But I think the athletic thing's a little more obvious. They look a lot more. Uh, a lot more in sync and cohesive and a little bit more cerebral defensively than Kermit's first two teams. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and, you know, part of it is the makeup of the team, like we talked about just from a look standpoint. Uh, but the the other part of it that you can kind of tell early is just an effort piece. You know, they're playing a lot harder on the defensive end. And a positive sign going forward for this team, and it's a huge sign of maturity, is – you go play two teams, um, and I've got Ken Palm pulled up right now. Jackson State, 313 in the country. Uh, UNC Wilmington, 223. Ole Miss out, you know, outplayed them like from a hardness standpoint. They played a lot harder than both of those teams. And a lot of times when you're a low to mid-major team, you've got that Power 5 team circled on your schedule, and you're ready to go, and you're wanting to shock the world. But it is, it's, it's a sign of maturity when – you're an Ole Miss team. You're favored by 20 plus in both of these games, and you're playing. You're playing a lot harder on the defensive end um, than these other teams are. 
Do you think some of that's just the guys they brought in, whether it's Romello, Dementia, or do you think a lot of that is Kermit just probably showing them just how atrocious they looked at times last year? Like, what do you, you talk like? You know, it's one thing to be better defensively and be better suited to play whatever X defense a coach installs or whatever, more athletic. That's one thing, but like it is incredibly hard for a team that didn't always play hard on the defensive end of the floor last year to kind of flip that switch. Obviously, a new roster, but like, what do you what do you attribute that to so far? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, a lot of it is just the identity of a Kermit Davis coach team um, from playing hard. You know, Kermit is <laughs> he's quick to take somebody out of the game. Um, if you get beat off the dribble or you take a forced shot on the offensive end, whatever the case may be. But there is also the personnel standpoint of it. Um, we've talked about Romello. You and I uh, have talked a ton about Luis Rodriguez and what it would look like having him on this team last year because he can kind of take the best player on the opposing team out of the game and did so last night. Um, so, you know, I think I think it's a little bit both. It's the identity of the coach. But now you're starting to get the personnel in uh, that you really want to to establish that identity. I, I teased two points when when we first uh, got this thing underway, talking about Romello and the other one being sure he goes for 23 in the first game against Jackson State was I think five of five in the first half with three triples got off to a really quick, really efficient start, had 20 in the win over UNC Wilmington. It's early. You're obviously you're two games in. And this reminds me, I guess if I was going to use an example of like, don't get carried away just yet. It's the way Buffin played on the offensive end through like five, six games last year. And then it really tailing off with foul right. trouble and various things. But just what are you seeing from Schuler so far? What makes you think it can stick around and kind of last throughout the duration of the season? Yeah, he's playing really poised right now um, on both sides of the floor. We know that he's a good rebounding guard, especially, you know, for the point guard position. Uh, we know that he has actually had a pretty good assist to turnover ratio. He's a good on ball defender. So with Devontae, I think a lot of this stuff is mental, just being mature, staying consistent, taking what the defense gives him. Um, you know, the other thing, and I've, I've thought it since, his freshman year when I was working for the team. But, you know, when he gets his feet set on his perimeter shot, that thing has a really good chance of going in. And a lot of times um, last year he was trying to force things and rush things and his feet were all over the place. But when he gets his feet set, it's got a really good chance to go in. So I think he's got a chance to be a solid three-point shooter as well. Um, he just needs to – he just needs to, you know, stay mature and keep being consistent because uh, if he can be consistent and be a first or second team All-SEC player this year, uh, that could do wonders for this Ole Miss team. His jump shot to me looks different when he's healthy. Would you like Is that something you noticed at all, too? Like the first three he took, I think, was from the top of the key on Thursday night, and it just looked a lot different than at times last year. I know he's had the foot issue in the past. He's had a couple other lingering issues, but it seems like his jump shot looks noticeably different when he's healthy. It's, is that something you've noticed? Yeah, I, I definitely think so as well. Um, and you're right. He's had a few s small minor things over the past couple years in his Ole Miss career, but it, it is kind of a unique form for Devontae uh, on his three-point shot. But like I said, you know, when he gets those feet set, it's all about his feet for him. If he can get his feet set, it's got a really good chance of going in. And, um, you know, he's, he's off to a really good start this year.
And the point you brought up the in our preseason podcast was it was important for him to play well and be consistent because that keeps Jarkel Joyner off the ball. Now, Joyner through two games, obviously, again, two games, I feel like I keep having to preface every point with that. But just so far, he's six points in each game. What have you seen from Joyner so far uh, just through two games? He hasn't obviously popped as kind of the volume score you heard about in practice and all of that last year. Uh, but what have you seen from him through two games? Yeah, so we kind of knew going into this, look, I mean, Jarkel, um, out of high school in his first two years at the college level, scored a lot of points, and he is a volume guy. Um, he's not going to be your, you know, 50 to 55% field goal percentage guy. Uh, he, he is a volume guy, but for Jarkel, I think I think it's actually um, I think you know if you're looking at it very critically, you may be a little disappointed with where he's at right now. But I think it's a pretty small fix. He's just got to stay in the rhythm of the offense. He's forcing stuff a little bit too much. Um, but where he's at his best is if he can get some uncontested looks and with all the attention that's going to start going inside with Romello, um, I think he'll start getting more uncontested looks. So really it's just patience with the offense and not trying to force too much. A lot of guys, when they first come into a program, uh, you know, they're trying to impress and maybe uh, press a little bit too much on the offensive end. So I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty easy fix for him going forward, but we'll see what it looks like. Sure. And some of that I'm sure is like what he played 23 minutes in the first game. And I think maybe a tick or two more, in the second, as Kerbett's playing a bunch of dudes, it sounds like he's probably a guy to where it's going to suit him to get in the flow of, you know, playing 30, 32 minutes night in and night out as well. Absolutely. Definitely agree with that. Because he Kermit played what I, I wrote down in that opener. He played, I think, 11 guys in the first 10 minutes, 12 in the first half total. I guess I'll, I mean, this is a hard question to answer after seeing, you know, 80 minutes of basketball, but they do have a lot of options in terms of trying to fill out this rotation. Ideally, what do you think he, like, like there's very few teams that go nine, 10 deep anymore. Uh, really hardly at all. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Like, how would you, how would you look at it if you were Kermit in terms of what you would like to get it down to rotation wise? There yeah. a number or is it just kind of who's what fits and what doesn't? No, it's not really a number. Um, I don't think it's a number, you know, it's kind of a feel thing. Ole Miss has, you know, you look at their, the rest of their non-conference schedule and outside of, outside of Dayton, uh, you'll be able to play a lot of guys, right? You got Central Arkansas Middle and UT Martin. So I think the biggest uh, example of what this thing could look like in conference play, though, is that Dayton game. I don't think he's looking for a number. You're never really looking for a number. You're looking for, hey, what's the best approach? What's the best lineup for us to win, right? But uh, that number, I would think, would be somewhere around that nine range. The Dayton game here in a week or so, I think, will be a really good uh, sample size to see what it looks like when he cuts down that bench a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I guess you're only really looking for a number when you don't have the dudes. Like, right. Maybe you got four or five dudes, no bench at all, and you're like, can I get seven guys into this game? And that's another part of this team has a chance to be very deep. And one of the things that I, know, I wrote down from these first two games as well is it doesn't seem like this year they're going to have the problem of 
pick X guys in foul trouble? How do they survive for six right. minutes with a guy who doesn't really belong on the floor? This isn't fair, and it sounds like I'm picking on it, but that guy would seem to be Sammy Hunter last year. It doesn't think it doesn't seem, at least early on, that they're going to have to overcome that because they have a, bo- a lot of bodies that have either played a lot or are going to play a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we kind of talked about it in the uh, earlier this year, but it, it's also nice. They're deeper, but they're balanced, too, from a guard and big standpoint and will probably be from a scoring standpoint once um, some more games are played. So that is a, that is a huge advantage. I, I don't see this team having that 20-a-game guy, but the benefit of that also is, hey, you know, Devontae go gets gets in foul trouble or KJ gets in foul trouble. You've you've got some options to play with there. So far, they've I mean, they were supposed to out rebound both teams that both mm-hmm. teams they played so far. I think they did so handily in both games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm trying to like look at it in live action. I never looked at the rebounding total. So it's 40. And yeah, I think four. their margin is like four a game right now, maybe. And that was a huge thing for Kermit during the offseason. He mentioned older, tougher, and we're going to rebound. It, right. I mean, early on again, but like, have, what have you seen from them from a rebounding perspective? It seems like they've fared well. It's not like they've been shoved around by either one of these teams, and they'd probably be in trouble if they had. Yeah, uh, I, I think they're checking the boxes so far. So we know, we knew going into this season um, that, like we talked about earlier, Mello and his previous experience at Arizona State elite rebounder Devonte for a point guard is is very talented there kj year three in the program ton of experience but now you get luis rodriguez back we look at luis and we say hey we want two things out of him we want him to take that you know best one through three maybe one through four man out of the game for the other team he's doing that so far and we need him to rebound anything he gives you on the offensive end it's kind of house money, um, in my opinion. He, he he gets a lot of he can get a lot of dirty buckets around the rim from offensive rebounds, um, but he's averaging seven and a half rebounds a game so far this year. So I think that's another piece as well um, that will be a positive spotlight if you've got Devonte, uh, Mello, Luis, KJ in the game. That's a really good start from a rebounding standpoint. And so far through two games, they're checking the boxes on what I think Kermit uh, saw this looking like so far. Luis scored 14 yesterday, and you mentioned everything you get from him kind of being a bonus on the offensive end. To me, through, I guess it's really only been a year and a couple of games just because he was kind of the Sam, he was kind of the Sammy Hunter of 18 or 19. I'm getting my years mixed up at this point. Two years ago, he was kind of that guy. Can they bring him in and he'd just survive? for a little bit because that team even though it made the tournament had a great year wasn't that deep either but right. I say all that to say he's been a guy that's been the dif- difficult to like at his best version of himself what is he offensively and that's been harder for me to kind of picture answer do you have an idea of what he is offensively at a plus functioning level yeah I mean I think that um I think he's a good finisher I think so far this year we kind of talked about um, you know, outside of Devonte, your Jarkels, um, Austin, Morrell, probably settling a little too much and not playing downhill enough. I think your threes and fours on this team so far are doing a good job of that. Um, in that four out one in motion, Luis is a great example of that. So I think he's at his best. Um, also attacking the rim, 
finishing in transition. And then he's going to be a guy that's going to go in there. Kermit's going to let him crash the boards and let, you know, the point guard get back in transition when a uh, shot's taken. But they're going to let Luis, they're going to give him free fly to really crash those boards. And so you're going to see him get some dirty buckets around the rim from offensive rebounds as well. Matthew Morell struggled a little bit in the first game, kind of a similar story uh, yesterday in the <laughs> win. Didn't play as much, I don't think. I don't have his minute total in front of me. He played, okay, 13 minutes yesterday, yeah. and then kind of a little bit above that in the first game. Just what have you seen from him so far? He had you know, his 90 seconds in, he, he, he had kind of clanked a three or airballed a three and then had a tough finish at the rim that got blocked. I, uh, but he, that did not deter him from shooting, at least in the first little spurt he was in, in the opener. Um, just what have you seen from him so far? Yeah, I still, um, you know, he, he's a super talented kid. I still think he's got a chance to be this team's best perimeter shooter. Um, kind of a lot of things echoing off of what we kind of said about Jarkel as well. Probably needs to stay within the rhythm of the offense a little bit more, um, y- you know, he needs uncontested shots for players in a position like Morrell, one for nine from the field so far this year. Another thing that can really help get them going is some easy transition buckets as well. So freshman kid, super early, super talented, even though one for nine from the field, I've seen flashes from him the last two games that I, I, I really think he could be a special player. So um, I think he's just got to stay patient within the offense and he'll be able to turn this thing around quick and having, you know, four more non-conference games, uh, I think will also benefit a guy like Morrell really well. You didn't see a lot of Hadim yesterday, and I think that's because UNC Wilmington was really just playing so small that I think what they – he start, Kermit started Romello basically to counter that yesterday, right, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaking. But C had 11 points in Jack, uh, against Jackson State, looked pretty good. We talked about him looking decent in pick-and-roll situations last year, but struggling with – back to the basket and finishing yep. goes five or six from the field in the opener. Have you kind of seen, obviously yet there hasn't been a ton of low post touches for him. And that's a lot of that, I guess is Romello. Some of that is just how they're playing. But like when he had the couple of times he has gotten down there, has you, have you seen his finishing improve in that standpoint? Yeah, I actually have. Um, I, I, I think he's finishing a little better, super small sample size for him with Romello. You know, they're really getting it down there a lot. I will say early on, um, especially the next two weeks, for fans looking at this team from, you know, lineups and minutes played and stuff stuff like that, I take it with a little bit of grain of salt just because of the practice time that they had, um, you know, with, with all this craziness of the past couple weeks. But I definitely think, you know, going forward, Mello's going to be the permanent guy there at that five spot. I do think I read something yesterday that Kermit may have said something in his post game about um, Hadeem getting banged up a little bit, which um, led to less minutes. So there may have been something there as well. And he was one of the collision dudes in the preseason, right? It was him and was it him and Sean? I think two of them collided or something in the preseason. And they were honestly questionable to start the year. Yeah, I think they had. Um, th- there were some members of that team in the big, from a big standpoint, um, you know, that had some injuries outside of some small injuries outside of COVID, I believe. 
if you're a if go circling back to Schuler for a minute, just because I found what he's done through two games particularly impressive. He's seven of fifteen from the field yesterday. I think in the opener he was like, yeah, he was nine of ten, did not miss a three, five of five from three. If you're looking for signs that that's going to stick long term, like what is the average basketball fan looking for with Schuler? in terms of just kind of see like what are good numbers for him at the end of the stat sheet if you're looking for sure to continue to be consistent what what are you looking at in particular yeah i mean you would love Schuler to be you know maybe a um 14 point a game guy um he, he pretty consistently has had close to a two to one assist turnover ratio which is huge Having five or so rebounds a game for him is huge as well. Great on-ball defender. So I think the big thing that you got to look at with Devontae is everybody has it. Um, if you're if you're getting more shots in, everybody's going to have that two-for-11 game, right? Brian had him. TD had him. Moody had him. Everybody. And for Devontae, a huge sign of, hey, is, is this for real? Can he be this first-team All-SEC guy is – when he goes and has that two for 11 game, what does the next game look like? Right. And if he turns it back on and averages 14 and gets to 14 again and does it efficiently, he's probably going to have a pretty consistent year. But in, in his world, you don't need to let that one loss lead to another um, because he, he really needs that consistency as well. So there's not, you know, this team, I don't think is going to score 85 or 90 points a game because they're going to be so elite defensively, it may be a little lower of a scoring team than we've seen in the past. But you just want to see efficiency and consistency out of Devontae going forward. Absolutely. And I guess the more he like the more he's on the floor, he seems to, at least through two games so far, when he and Joyner are in the game, it seems like they're a lot more potent. Backcourt, obviously. Now, Crowley's been fine. I thought he's played well through two games. But that seems like they're a best two-guard combo. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I still think Crowley's, um, I think he's another one that's forced a little too much as well. Um, I think Kermit's taken him out of the game a few times for forcing some shots up. But look, he's a high IQ player, pretty athletic kid as well. I think he's going to get a lot of minutes this year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he takes the majority of minutes at backup point guard uh, when Devontae's out as well. So uh, you've got a nice mixture of skills um, from the one and two spot with this team so far. I noticed he played, there was a stretch in that first game where he did play, because I remember you had pointed that out on our preseason pod, but there was a stretch, and I think maybe one in the second game as well, where he had Crowley on the floor, but still had Joyner running at a little bit of point. I'm sure that's just kind of seeing what he has and getting Joyner used to playing point guard kind of should and, and maybe so more so when he needs to, but I just thought that was interesting. T totally. I think you totally hit the nail on the head there. I think, um, I think Jarkel will probably be, you know, the third option there at point guard. They want to see what they have. They've gotten to see it, you know, a little bit in practice, not as much as they want to because of the year so far. Um, but you know, when you're beating teams by 28 a game, you can get creative and you can try some things out like that. So um, I, th I think you hit nail on the head with what they're trying to do with Jarkel at the point guard spot, too. If you're trying to go win a game now, say the Dayton games tomorrow or probably a better example, Ole Miss has to win tomorrow to get in the NCAA tournament. What's your five or who's your five, I guess? My five is uh, Devontae, Jarkel, Luis, KJ and Romello. I mean, kind of who they played 
who they played yesterday. Um, Domencio probably hasn't gotten the minutes I thought he would at this point. And then uh, Robert Allen's playing a little bit more. He plays hard as hell. It's going to be hard, you know, for Kermit to have uh, Robert Allen and KJ off the floor. I, you know, I don't think you can have both because they play, they play so hard. Um, so I think Kermit's going to look at, hey, you know, who a lot of these lineups so far are holding teams pretty well defensively. Now you got to find that happy medium of what's best defensively and then what's most efficient offensively um, once you start playing, you know, these power five schools. Who do you think it ends up being kind of the odd guy out in terms of the bigs, or do you think they'll play three or four a game? Yeah, I mean, right now it's kind of looking like Sammy. Um, you know, he's not playing a ton. Sean Robinson's not playing really any. Sammy's playing about uh, seven minutes a game. I still think they like his game. He he continues to show uh, flashes. But, you know, if, if Kermit wants a two-deep lineup and wants to play 10, 10 dudes, so, um, you know, Sammy could still get some minutes in. This group seems like he, the, it's going to afford Kermit the opportunity to be a hell of a lot more versatile than he has in his first two years. I mean, hell, that first team was absolutely just was what it was. There was not a whole lot of uh, – other than him probably wishing he could take Bruce's offense uh, and Dom's defense and form just one player instead of benching the other two every five minutes out of punishment. That's just kind of what they were. This team seems like it could feature a lot of different lineups, which is huge, particularly in college hoops, because, I mean, basketball in general, matchups are everything, but it seems like they're going to match up well against a number of different types of teams, where in the past, you kind of knew on a given night, like if a team had you know played X way, Ole Miss was probably in for a long evening. Yeah, I agree with that. The, the matchup I'm most intrigued about, or I guess the lineup uh, going forward, you saw a little one-two-two out of uh, Wilmington yesterday. Um, the, early on, I think Ole Miss scored on it two possessions in a row. Their coach got out of it, and then he later in the game got back in it, and Ole Miss looked a little sloppy against it. They're, like we've said earlier, in against man defenses. They're having a hard time. You know, they're forcing shots. They're not playing downhill and attacking the goal enough, and that, that plus getting the ball to the uh, inside to the middle is the best way to beat a zone. So teams are going to zone Ole Miss, right? Because the, the thought right now is that Ole Miss isn't a great uh, perimeter shooting team. Teams are going to zone Ole Miss right now. So the intrigue that I have, the, the thing that's really interesting for me to see is what does a lineup look like when teams uh, go zone heavy against Ole Miss? Do you, you know, play Morrell more? Do you move Morrell to the three spot and go a little smaller and try to, you know, force teams out of the zone um, in in the man offense. You know, I think four out, one in playing through Romello is huge. But in, in that zone, that, I'm really intrigued to see kind of what that looks like uh, going forward, because I think that'll happen a lot in conference play. There's also a version of this team. Obviously, they have not shot the ball well from the perimeter through these first two games. You know, what make of that whatever you want to. I probably wouldn't make a ton of it. But in my mind, it seems like there's a, a version of this team that becomes a pretty good perimeter shooting team. And would, if Schuler shoots it half as well as he has through these first couple games and then Joyner and Morrell shoot it close to what you think they're capable of, there's a world where this team's still pretty good from the perimeter, in my mind. 
Yeah, I, I think so. And I think, you know, in, in that area, Morell is, uh, he is known to be a good perimeter shooter. Jarkel's more, more of that volume guy. But if, if Devonte can be an above average shooter and then you get what you want out of Joyner and Morell, then that's where I think you can play both of them at the same time um, at the two and the three. And then from uh, a man offensive standpoint, I think a thing that um, the Ole Miss is going to benefit from this year that they didn't last year is all that attention defensively opponents are going to have inside is going to create for kickouts uncontested for these guards. So they're rather than, you know, Brian having to go win the game, shooting some crazy contested shot, you're going to get some open looks uh, for, for these guards as well to knock down. So I'm curious if your opinion on this has changed at all through just through what you've seen in these first 80 minutes of the season. They're down, let's say, mid-February, they're down six at Kentucky with, you know, 90 seconds left and an empty trip pretty much seals the game. Where are they going to get two points from and who are they going to? Yeah, I think uh, what you either do there is I would play through Romello or really space it out and play uh, pick and roll with Romello and Devontae. As good as Romello's been back to the basket, he's also pretty solid pick and roll as well. We haven't seen a ton of it this year, but that's kind of what I would do, kind of isolate both of them at the end of the game, uh, try not to force up anything crazy, but a little – a little ball screen offense with Devontae and Romello. And I imagine the primary candidate to shift your thinking on that is watching just Jarkel through these next stretch of games. Yeah, I think, I think so as well. Um, you know, he is a proven scorer. He's done it at a volume level. We just, you know, would love to see. He just needs some, uh, he needs some confidence building with a few good games here in a row. And I think that will happen. Does Kermit have the market cornered on the bench punishment thing? Is there anyone else inf- as famous as he is for doing that? I had never seen coaches do that before. Maybe I just was not paying attention. Gosh, I would have to think about it. Um, <laughs> I, I can't. I can't remember off the top of my head. But you know, it is funny. I do like how though he'll take them out and he'll put them right back in. You know, um, I think <laughs> at times maybe that can be a little frustrating trying to get into a rhythm, um, but. You know, with Brian, if he got beat straight line drive off the bounce, Kermit may take him out and literally like 40 seconds put him back in the game. So Kermit's real big about sending messages. Um, you know, this lineup, if if a guy has a few uh, bad days of practice or their attitude's bad, whatever the case may be, and it's a, it's a veteran starter, you know, he may not start him. Um, and so I, I really respect that. And he stayed consistent with it over his whole coaching tenure. I haven't watched either of his post-game press conferences yet just because I've had stuff to do when the game ends. But just a pure guess, and I feel pretty good about this, is he's probably going to enjoy coaching this team a hell of a lot more than last year's. And you think, oh, yeah, Captain Obvious, they were not very good last year. But not only were they not good, they were so the polar opposite of what his DNA is as a coach and what his rosters and teams have been like. Like all of his – we've talked about this before, but like all of his teams – have defended and rebounded, and they've always been top. And last year's team was neither. Just whatever level of success they end up having this year, I don't think he's going to pull his hair out near as much as he, as he did at times last year. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, when you're coaching a team and you're over a group like this, 
you're going to have to, and Ole Miss, Ole Miss will be in this situation at times, you're going to have to live with times where, you know, maybe you're not making shots, uh, sh- shots aren't falling, whatever the case may be. But if you're playing as hard as they are right now, um, they're they're playing super tough. They're doing a lot of things that he's asking out of them. You know, it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot more fun. You can kind of live with those games where maybe you don't shoot thirty percent from the three point line, or maybe you have a rough night at the free throw line as well. So, with this team so far, um, he wanted to get old. He got old. He wanted to get tougher. He got tougher. And from a makeup standpoint they're a lot longer um, and more athletic than they've been in the past. Before we get out of here, you know, they got two games coming up. What two? they have at least two games this week. Is it three? No, just two. So you got middle and central Arkansas this yep. week. Yep. Um, no, three game week. Excuse me. Dayton's this Saturday, man, December has flown by. What are you looking for this week? Obviously I don't think middle or central Arkansas are particularly good. And what do you make? I guess long story short, toughest team on that list. Easily Dayton. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, you know, you've got your three games, I guess, um, maybe before Christmas. I can't remember when the UT Martin game is, but you've got Central Arkansas, Middle, and then Dayton. Uh, Central Arkansas, coached by former Ole Miss legend Anthony Boone. Middle, obviously, Kermit's old coaching ground. Maybe the more intriguing uh story of that game, at least for me individually, is uh, Shuler versus Shuler. Uh, Dontrell Shuler, Devontae's little brother, he's a, a grade or two below him. He plays for middle. He's a, he's a really good player. He was at Charleston Southern last year, averaged about 18 a game. And I saw somewhere where this is the first time in their life they'll get to play against each other. So that'll be really cool. Um, Central Arkansas is not great. Uh, probably similar from a talent standpoint as UNC Wilmington middle has obviously dropped off a ton um, since, you know, Kermit left. I think they will be a little better than they have been the past couple years. And then Dayton, Anthony Grant, old Alabama coach. Um, he's there. He's done a really good job. Obviously they had Obi Toppin last year. I think they beat state in overtime, maybe double overtime yesterday. They're going to be, I, I think Dayton will be like a top 75 net team this year. So, you know, that's a that's a game Ole Miss has got to go on the road. And um, I think Ole Miss will be favored by a little bit, but it'll be a really good win if Ole Miss can uh, can pull that out with, you know, to nobody's fault. But in the craziness of this year, you've got Memphis is off your schedule now. Um, UT Martin lost Parker Stewart. Parker's dad was the coach and passed away, which was really sad. I think a lot of fans will remember Parker Stewart um, as an Ole Miss commit a few years ago. He averaged 20 a game last year, so they've, they've really dropped off. And then Wichita, Wichita State, obviously, with all the Greg Marshall stuff, they lost a lot of players, too. So all, all that being said, the non-conference strength of schedule is, is probably not as good as Ole Miss uh, thought it would be months back. So I think you really have to capitalize on these chances and and the league has not gotten off to the start we would like them to as well that was kind of my last question before we got out of here college basketball obviously kind of well two three weeks into the season at this point is anyone across the league stuck out as a hell of a lot better or a hell of a lot worse than you thought yeah um so missouri looks a lot better than i thought they would um they went and they beat so far, I think they've beaten Oregon, and last night they went and uh, beat Illinois as well. 
They've also beaten uh, Liberty and Wichita State, so they are off to a really good start. They've got three good guards. They're one of the more experienced teams in the country. Um, you know, around the rest of the league, I still think Arkansas, LSU, uh, Tennessee, still pretty high on them. Kentucky's off to a really, really poor start. They're one and four right now, and they've got the rest of their non-conference schedule is at UCLA and at Louisville. So, I mean, th there's some crazy things happening down there. But Cal, it's a really young team. He's normally at eight or nine games into the season right now. He's built a really tough non-conference schedule this year. So I think at the end of the day, they'll be fine. But they just may not be, you know, that elite uh, team that we've we've seen in the past from them. So we need, you know, SEC, we need some we need some wins going forward. Um, Ole Miss has a very favorable conference schedule. Uh, I think Ken Palm has them going 11 and 7 this year. So when the chances arise, when you're favored, you know, you need to take care of business for Ole Miss, um, you know, with their tournament aspirations. I imagine this year conference play across the board and particularly with mid-majors in college basketball is, is going to be huge because – at the end of the day, I think they're obviously they're going to do everything they can to play the NCAA tournament as safe as possible. You know, they've talked about what is it, Indianapolis only? They're going to use a bunch of gyms around there. But I say all that to say the conference tournaments are not exactly guaranteed. Yeah. So, like, I imagine for you know one two bid leagues, like the conference regular seeds is going to be as important as ever. And I guess that's kind of a similar case even with the big boy leagues, just because non conference has been such so hit or miss. In terms of scheduling. Yeah, no doubt. And normally you get 12 or 13 non-conference games. Um, Ole Miss, Kentucky, a lot of these teams with a lot of new faces could have really benefited from some more non-conference games, even if, you know, some of those games were against, uh, you know, your lower mid-major kind of cupcake teams. But you're right. You know, I think your margin for error for P5 teams this year is a lot lower um, with, only having six or seven non-conference games and then the uncertainty of the conference tournaments like you said is another huge piece there the pros of it though you just go if you just go and take care of business um you know you could be in a really good spot come march and for the smaller leagues isn't like i've always been of the opinion that might be the way it should be anyway because i always found it like to be kind of bullshit in those one bid leagues to where this one, you know, one team wins the league and is by far and away the best team all year long, but they get upset in the conference tournament and then they're just toast. Like to me, that's a more like if you if they don't have some of these smaller conference championship tournaments and they just give it the bid to the regular season winner, that to me, even in a normal year, would seemingly be a better way to try to get the strongest NCAA tournament field. Yeah, it it could maybe even make uh, yeah, like you're saying, stronger field. It can maybe make March be more competitive as well. Uh, a lot of these low and mid major teams are doing like double uh, double headers. So I know like UAB, for example, they're gonna open up at uh, North Texas, play them back to back days, and then they're gonna come home and play somebody like Southern Miss back to back days and all this to obviously COVID stuff, but also reduce those uh, travel costs as well. So this, this year definitely looks a lot different uh, than it has in the past. I saw, did you go make it to a UAB game? Did you go see uh, AK? I did. I got to see them play against uh, Troy. That would have been actually last Sunday. Um, so 
they're now they're now six and zero. I think they've got. Um, they're playing Chattanooga and Southern University before they host Georgia Tech at home two days before Christmas, which will obviously be a huge game for them. So they're six and zero. They've got a good little team right now. He brought in three transfers that are all double digit scores right now. So they're at a good place. They're they're a lot of fun to watch. What are his thoughts on their building? Does I mean is there any is there any more AK like is there any AK sarcasm to be had by UAB's building or is that reserved strictly for the Tad Pad? You know I think um, I think it was the the situation that he was in. They've actually got a they've got a pretty solid um, they've got a pretty solid arena. I think it's maybe twenty five or thirty years old, um, and it, it, it's a really good mid major arena. It holds about nine or ten thousand. Has you know, some nice little uh, premium amenities. But, uh, yeah, no no satire from him regarding the arena that I've heard so far. Is there one Tad Pad comment that he made over the years that stuck out in your mind? Oh, I would have to sit there and think about it. Um, he loved, though, you know, anytime something happened, you know, somebody had to go to the trainer, we thought somebody was sick, had a cold, that it was the asbestos in the arena. <laughs> He loved he loved making that <laughs> reference. Um, he was just waiting for it. A- anytime he could get on that one, he was. Uh, I'm still I'm kind of surprised that thing's still standing there, but who knows? Well, there's way too much parking on campus, so it wouldn't make any sense to turn <laughs> that into parking or anything. But that's good stuff, dude. I appreciate the time. This was great. Uh, always good to check in. I'm sure we'll do this again for conference play starts. Maybe we'll hop on after the Dayton game. But uh, I appreciate it, dude. This was fun. Absolutely. Have a good one. See ya. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions. Same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.